actually in Macbeth and um, you know actually you know what Hamlet original stream of consciousness there we go like fuck modernism it's fine weirdly modernism is the one time period I've never had to teach very much of in terms of having various short-term contracts before i've done 18th century 17th century did a whole module on shakespeare and contemporaries why i don't know anything about that i do now um <laughs> i think the closest i came to modernism was decadence but it was very clearly decadence and not modernism so yeah. thankfully i've managed to completely avoid it it's a great educational way where you start a broad at school and you go into a levels and now don't you get a degree you now don't get a PhD. you really narrow it down and you go i'm going to teach now in Anything. Everything. <laughs> you do literature? All of literature. All of literature. And, and mechanics as well. I'll do that too. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, exactly. And I kind of one of the funny things about interdisciplinary stuff where the other day I was finding myself, I was reading a bunch of legal journals and I had to take a minute and have a cup of tea, but like, what is my job? <laughs> why am I, why am I reading these things? I mean, it was super interesting, but why I, I'm trying to, I'm supposed to be doing something about poetry. Why am I reading about legal definitions of various kind of laws that have passed? God. All relevant. It all fits in somehow. somehow so basically somehow. we are like the Uber subject as opposed to like the uber mensch like <laughs> literature should be right at the top yeah. of everything pretty much yeah it does everything i'll just tell the uk government that <laughs> <laughs> we have with shape 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 for the economy was it social yeah, i don't know Sh- humanities social humanities arts people and people economy and economy i don't know do you know what we're talking about ahrc rebrand it's a takeover stem yeah it's the arts Instead and humanities of version of okay. stem so they came up with a funky acronym, which is SHAPE, which... There's a point at which you go, at what point is the acronym leading into the project here? How far are you going? We'll, we'll include people just because we wanted to make a nice acronym. Mm-hmm. My career ambition is to become vice president of acronyms at some major Russell Group institution and just be paid you loads of money. Because VPA is not an acronym. You're going to find a better, better, oh, better acronym. That's it. You're, you're, you're first hurdle. Maybe, maybe I could go to something like VAPID. That V-A-P-I-D, something like that. There's more we're looking at departments and merging. We're going to put together arts and social sciences. And we cannot be the arts and social sciences. We're going to be called ass. And we can't do that. <laughs> oh, my God. My favorite one that ever happened with this. I had a, a month's uh, research leave in, in Hong Kong. And they literally have a department of comparative literature. And their website is clit.com. <laughs> I honestly, I only made the application because I wanted to put that in there. Yeah. So many disappointed <laughs> visitors to that website. So it's upset. I, I learned a, a lot about pinching, but I really did not get what I was looking for when I went to this time. No, don't pinch it. No, what? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's something to be made for like the subjectivity of the humanities and not being able to find the clip. But my brain isn't there tonight to make that joke. I can't just <laughs> do it. Something about research, something, something about archives. Yeah, about, yeah. <laughs> find, find the G spot, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. It's beginning to look a lot like praxis. I've just realised that getting you on that we've missed a trick and that we don't have any fucking jingle bells. I was just looking around my room for anything that might sound like a bell, and there's nothing. So bell. Oh well. Oh well. <laughs> Ding. I don't have Oh, wait, no. Oh, I have a bike. There's a bike in here. <laughs> One second. A, a bike bell won't work. That's a bike bell. Can you jangle some keys? Oh, okay. Oh, there we go. It's a Santa. How was that? I've arrived in your room. That's amazing. I also realized that I edit this so I can just put in a sound. So um... No, no. I, I, did, I did the hard graph there, no, Louise. you realize. Okay. That was some real Foley work for you. Oh, fuck that. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Law My Praxis. 
Today, we're talking with Dr. Pete Orford from the University of Buckingham. Pete works primarily on two tragically obscure and underrepresented white British male authors, William Shakespeare and Charles Dickens, is it? Never heard of him. I mean, I've never heard of him. He's the course director for the, is it the only MA in Charles Dickens Studies? Uh, No, there's one other, but we don't talk about that one. Oh, we don't talk about that one. (laughs) It's not as good. Where's that one? That's how we can. So they they do a taught one, we do a research one. So we're the only research MA in... Ah, the only real search, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. real search. Real search. Yeah, Yeah. Take that, Kent. Exactly. <laughs> and Pete is the author of The Mystery of Edwin Drood, Charles Dickens' unfinished novel, and our endless attempts to end it. And he is currently editing uh, pictures from Italy for Oxford University Press. Is that still true? Because I went on your academic bio, and I don't know about you, but mine is hideously out of date, uh, <laughs> even though I started a new job. Italy is, is going on. It should be finished next year. I'm doing that. Italy should be finished. You're Italy, right. Yeah, we should just be finished. No, Italy is finished next year. Um, I'm editing Dickens' plays as well, the next one. And I'm editing writing a biography of him too, because no one really knows about Dickens' life. So I'm going to fill in that, that, that niche area by writing a biography. I'd never heard of the man, so. No. But I'm contemporary, so. I'm a Victorianist, and it was just completely unheard of. Yeah, mind-blowing, mind-blowing. A small study on beards who are compared to Colin. True original contribution to knowledge. Yeah, exactly. Is it difficult though, like genuinely, because I dot around the 19th century, but is it is it really difficult to find new shit on the Dickens? And also when you've worked on Shakespeare as well, is it does it just blow your mind trying to think of something? Do you have to go really outrageous to work on Dickens? I mean, there is always an element of it. You think, what hasn't been done yet? You know, I'm going to do, you know, Dickens and umbrellas. That's new. It's exciting, you know. (laughs) It's hard to go from Shakespeare to Dickens. I think if I went straight to Dickens, I'm like, oh my God, but I haven't done Shakespeare first. Now, if Dickens is like, whoa, there's a lot, Shakespeare's like, oh, mama, here comes Thanos, and the whole thing's going to explode kind of thing, you know? So <laughs> Dickens is actually quite nice because you feel like, actually, there, there, there's a few bits I haven't been done yet. You know, so I can park my car in there and find my little niche early, get my towel on the bench and reserve my spot there. It's funny, I did do work a while back on, on a guy called Fitzjames O'Brien, who genuinely is who he but he's like this American Irish 19th century poet and writer of short stories gothic stories and a kind of a poe tradition an early science fiction writer and no one's heard of him so I did do a bit of work on him for a while and that was quite fun but also terrifying because of the opposite like well there's nothing out there but was he a straight white man yeah we got another straight yeah alright okay yeah of course Ooh, who will speak for the straight white man okay you know. <laughs> So and un- 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 neglected, okay. Particularly in sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know that's it. You know they're always in the alien makeup. That's the only time you see them. That's it. Otherwise, you never, you never see them anywhere. <laughs> I actually think that you're the first straight white man we've had on the podcast. I've got to say, I think that's true. Excellent. So that's a niche right there. Well, there you go. Then there you go. I'm, I'm challenging the, the thing for you. I think we we did legitimately have a conversation the other day about like are men underrepresented on this podcast, and then we were like. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only time genuinely I've actually been championed as, as a model of heterosexuality. <laughs> I'm not exactly the most masculine guy out there. So saying, wow, you are a straight white man. So, yes, yes, ladies, I am. Come for the gun show. Uh, Pete is actually curling his biceps right now. And- or a medium. It's very impressive. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's huge. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Bicep. <laughs> <laughs> Where the only water flows Look at 
there's a lot to unpack here. So what we like to do when we're trying to get to know guests and stuff is we ask for a boring fact about yourself. So could you tell us a boring fact about yourself? Boring fact? I don't yes. have any boring facts about myself. I'm too interesting, Um I've never heard that response. <laughs> <laughs> I like Star Wars. That's probably fairly boring and mean. I mean, I could kind of tell you've got a BB-8 cushion sitting right behind you. It's great. I've got Spider-Man inside as well. You know, it's all, it's I did all... see Spider-Man too, yeah. Very professional, very professional. Yeah. I don't know, boring. I, I do Shakespeare and Dickens. Is that fairly boring? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, that is true. I'm a married, heterosexual, white, male you know middle class who likes dickens shakespeare and star wars i mean this is the trifecta everything about me screams boring and normal and, and anti-freak and everything as well so you know there you go that i am the boring fact how's that i'm gonna go cry in a that's pretty solid <laughs> yeah pretty solid <laughs> broken me okay that's it that only took what how many minutes <laughs> <laughs> that's a new record alex Mother never loved me. Okay, right, go on, yeah. Actually, it's not the first time someone's cried that on our podcast. <laughs> That's true. It's not released the episode. What are you doing? It's in the vaults. <laughs> it's in the vaults. Yeah, I think that's probably just about covered it. Because we like to ask that question because you know when you're like, do these awful like icebreakers and shit and people are like, oh, tell us something interesting. You're always just like, fuck off. <laughs> people use it as a flex. Yeah. You're just like, mm-hmm. no. What's the opposite of a flex? A fold? A flap. A flap. A flap. <laughs> it's a collapse. It's a collapse. Yeah, yeah. I have reached the age now where I can't actually sit down or stand up without making a kind of appreciative ooh sound. I sit down now. That's where I'm at. But like, oh yeah, that's nice now. So that that's where I am. The opposite flex. I'm, I'm, I'm more of a ooh. <laughs> Technical term there. Okay, look it up in the dictionary. The ooh sit. Yeah, yeah. In your scholar of literature, so of course. I know everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All the literature. So I read everything. All literature, all literature. You know, engineering. All literature or the only literature that matters. Mm. Uh, Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so uh, as you can tell, we're we're not very nice to our guests. I think you could take that, Louise. I didn't. I, you're not nice to our guests. It's good cop, bad cop. I'm just always the bad cop. Christmas discourse. I'd like to know your Tinder bio, your academic Tinder bio. Now that you've proven you're really boring, yeah. you have to try and <laughs> yeah, try and entice us to swipe right. Entice us. So, an academic Tinder bio for a Victorianist. I think it was something like triple decker in the streets, penny dreadful in the sheets. Yes, yes. yes very good. So okay. now we tend to discuss um, whether we would swipe, swipe, I can never say it, swipe right or swipe, swipe. say yes or say no. <laughs> I mean, I think you've just confirmed everything that we've been talking about, particularly with the penny dreadful in the sheets. Like, <laughs> <laughs> being the boring fact. So I just think it kind of, nothing surprised me. Nothing no. surprised me by that Tinder bio. No. I mean, but in the street, but I quite, I quite like the kind of, um, the candor and the bravery of this Tinder bio in terms of sort of like owning up to this idea of a really kind of triple decker ego in the streets and then actually underneath it all is just disappointment. Well, it's basically the opposite that, you know, it's all like very like, you know, official and, 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 you know, responsible on the streets, you know, and actually really I'm just terrible gothic stories and so forth. Oh, that's true. Gothic stories are pretty salacious yeah, as well. Not that's, sure that's how true. It works in the sheets, you know, 
it's a difficult mixture of like pop culture and and sweets going on like the mixed metaphors i can't quite any shop in the streets it's a horrible thing that's illegal actually i think if i'm but yeah otherwise it's um you know yeah i think i just like which is really bad for someone that works on this sort of stuff i just zoned in on the dreadful and ignored the whole (laughs) genre (laughs) and literature thing that i just was like oh it's so dreadful as opposed to you know thinking have you guys ever watched any of the penny dreadful uh, I, I went so far as buying the DVD, which is a, the same as watching it, right? That's how it works. Yeah, it's the same as like buying the book and just, I, mean, I have so many. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, it's, it's no. It's, have you watched it? Is it actually... I did watch it because I had to teach it for, again, a, a course on literature and film. Very qualified to do. But <laughs> it was, I would put the emphasis on the dreadful. Yeah. Like it's very kind of pulpy. I mean, I have not nothing, I've got nothing against sort of like pulpy fun, but it was the kind of the weird, the, the whole kind of universe of Penny Dreadful is basically just like the 19th century and every single Gothic novel that's ever existed is existing in London at the same time. Yeah. So you've got Dracula, Frankenstein, and everything else all mashed together. And the opening episode is just this weird mismatch of everything. And then it ends with Victor Frankenstein creating the creature who isn't really kind of like a creature, more like his kind of like soft boyfriend. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> it's like a really tender, loving scene. Because okay. it, it was part of like an adaptation course where we we're talking about Frankenstein and various iterations of Frankenstein. So it's interesting to think about it, but I also just didn't like it no. at all. Well, they made a similar thing with um, Dickensian. I don't know if you heard of Dickens, but you know, Dickensian was about all these different characters and same thing where it's like it's a mishmash of all different characters just trying to get your head around it every time like i don't quite know what's going on here where it's going and who are you from again and so forth but that was one way i think in a way that the writer had almost read too much dickens and was just bringing too much knowledge out there going and here's this obscure character here and going i will just check which book that person's from whereas things like penny dreadful i feel like it's more a sense of they've read the back of the book and they go ah i've seen a picture of frankenstein i'll put him in as well yeah, yes. but the back of the book in those, you know, those really cheap presses where they just shove any old picture on and they've not read the book. Yeah, Wordsworth Classics, yeah. Yeah, I love Wordsworth Classic covers. Like, so good. It's actual art. That's such a point we go, it's got nothing to do this whatsoever after all. I, I, I expect there to be, you know, a fast car in the story and instead it's Pride and Prejudice and, you know, it's... I do love this idea that this person that you've mentioned about who has like a kind of encyclopedic knowledge of all Dickens characters is kind of like I'm now thinking that it, that that is possibly the the worst version of someone who like knows all of Star Wars or knows all of the Lord of the Rings, and is sort of just there like oh I'm sorry um, which character are you talking about that's from the Silmarillion he's like actually this this one from Dickens I don't know enough Dickens to kind of continue this joke but <laughs> I'd hate to beat this person quick what's the most obscure Dickens go uh, you haven't heard of him he's very exclusive doesn't go here go somewhere else uh... <laughs> got a true Dickens fan liked it before it was cool it's funny because they're doing encyclopedias of dickens and sometimes you go Who, who's that guy you know i think when you have to do an encyclopedia that's when you know there's a lot of characters to get your head around you could always make one up like you know they're always really descriptive ridiculous names like i don't know i'm looking at things around here now charlie wheel i don't know yeah. no we're in, exactly no. and it's, it's great to um over, over lockdown we've been in the whole family quiz thing because i always just talk to your family and it's like oh god not that so quizzes are much better because there's a doctor and an end in sight so doing a family quiz, like it was like first round, I'll do a Dickens round for everyone because I'm a geek and I will bring my work to you. And they were like, oh, God. Yeah, they had a question like, you know, what does red and yellow make? And I was like, so in Martin Chuzzlewit, chapter three, what does, you know, I gave them a list of characters and said, spot the one that's fake. It's hard to do a Dickens. When you've got a little Dick Swiveller, for God's sake. <laughs> 
nothing is too far for Dickens. You can't actually parody Dickens when it comes to character names. Yeah. <laughs> Dick Swiveller is going to feature in this episode title. It just has to happen. Has to, exactly. <laughs> Something that's really frustrating about Dickens and quizzes. So I was this year's reserve for the Glasgow University University Challenge team. So, like, so much that I was in the studio and raging about it. Because, like, I'd never worked out until I had, like, two months of eligibility how the fuck to apply. Um, they got a fucking Dickens bonus round, didn't they? Oh. And what- but did you know any of the answers? Fuck off, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, did you know the answers? I mean, yeah, all of them. But they insisted in answering David Copperfield for every single fucking one because they didn't know any. <laughs> and I was there, like, literally ripping my hair out, like, I'm so fucking raging with you guys. And, uh, yeah. To be honest, that would be my nightmare. You know, if I was on and the Dickens, I'd feel the absolute pressure I can't get anything wrong with. At least if it's like, you know, nuclear physics, you know, I had a good go and what the hell. But, you know, if it's actually a specialist, you'd be like, oh, God, you know, there's absolutely no joining in it right. People go, well, of course you should get it right. If you get it yeah. wrong, you will never hear the end of it. So anytime you're in a pub quiz and a pop stop, you're like, oh, God, I've got to try and figure this one out, you know. There, there were no words. But also, <laughs> another revelation from University Challenge. Paxo, he wears jeans under the desk. <gasps> My God. That's just like all of us working from home right now. Yeah, does, does that kind of confirm anything we thought? In fairness, no. at, the, at the start of this year, I had to, when we went online, I had to help out by teaching one of the courses we do. And we have students from uh, Japan who uh, usually come over and, and spend six months here. But they couldn't. They were doing it from Japan. So we had to find a mm-hmm. time when I was awake and they were awake, basically, which meant doing a seminar online, Zoom call, whatever, at six in the morning. Oh, no. I have no shame. I was just putting a shirt on over my pyjamas, going down, <laughs> spilling some coffee and going, right, let's do this. Are we finished? Great. I'm going in the shower now. You know, so it was probably like, you know, like hello, I'm here today. I'm Dr. Peter Orford. I'm going to be professional. Really, it was just me kicking back in my hay-ducky pyjamas, no one any the wiser. I've got a colleague at the moment who's supposed to be starting a postdoc in China, but the borders are closed and they can't get over. So they're actually teaching Chinese classes like in terms of like on their schedule. So he's he's awake from like 2 until 7 a.m. teaching yeah. every day. <laughs> it's like, I thought one day the apocalypse would come. I didn't think the apocalypse would involve us being here at 2 in the morning doing Teams meetings in pyjamas. It's the most boring apocalypse, boring dystopia. And especially are. if you're using Teams over Zoom as well. Like, oh God. Hey, Teams is the super Superior platform. Oh, I have feelings. Melly Kalikimaka is the thing to say on a bright wine Christmas day. Is an example of festive on the Heimlich kite or the uncanny. But on to the real questions. Real questions? Okay, sorry. You prepared. I'm impressed. Okay, what? We prepared things. Okay. First off, can you please confirm, as something of an authority on this topic, that The Muppets Christmas Carol is the definitive adaptation? Yes. And do you think that Dickens would agree to this as well? No, but yes, it was. Not boring fact, I attended the UK premiere of Muppets Christmas Carol when I was 13 years old. What the fuck? Why? I mean, that 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 is a flex. That is 100% a flex. That is not a flex. Amongst such luminaries as Mike Green and Sue Green and Mike White and and Red White Sud Fred, you know, and all, all these great luminaries of the 90s were there. John Leslie and Jonathan Ross, you know, and everyone who's now arrested were all there. Um, <laughs> Can you clarify why you were there? The 13, I was like, this is cool, I'm in London, woo, you know. And then it turned out actually it was quite a, a good forecast of what I'd be doing later on in my life. But um, yeah, and I was there. And Brian Henson introduced it, and he came on to talk. I've got a little goodie bag, which I've now lost, and I'm gutted out oh. with the little Muppet uh, Kermit stopping and stuff. 
<gasps> I was there. I was there. Tragic. I was there. And I, I, I was the one who went there going, you know what? This is going to be all right. I, I, I approve of this. I, I'm going to stamp it and let it go. And that moment, you know, yeah. But, but yeah, so Mother's Question Cow, yeah, it's brilliant. And, and yeah, it, it, what's weird now is actually the way that it's turned from people kind of going, hush, hush. You, I quite like the Muppets, actually. You know, but, you know, <laughs> you know I, I quite like it too. It's changed through Twitter mainly. People are going, I do like it, and that's when I go, if you don't like Muppets, I'm coming to your house and I'm decking you. Can I? It's like, yeah, how dare you not like the Muppets? No one questions the Muppets. It has evolved in the last five years from a dirty secret to a foregone conclusion, and now it's almost the point of going, you know what? The, the new Inuchi Copperfield. It might, it might be as good as a carol. No, no, nothing will ever beat the Muppets. No. Uh, but it is amazing, like, how much of it is verbatim, yeah. like, in the uh, the Muppets one, which is great. Which Louise rewatched this afternoon. Yeah, yeah I did. absolutely. I mean, yeah, the talking letters, they're all in there. You look in Dickens, it's, it's all in there in, in, in the illustrations and stuff, you know, and, and the frog, you know, marrying a pig. It's exactly what Dick, yes. Dickens intended when he was thinking about that, that perfect, cosy family scene. It's great. It's got just the right level of cheese. You know what I mean? I mean, some of the songs are, because you've seen now they've found the lost song. <gasps> yes, we were going to ask you about that. Amazing news. This is great. I get people saying this to me. That, that's where I'm at in life. My wife said, have you heard the news? <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes, I have heard the news, you know. Um, I've had 15 emails already. Yeah, exactly. My mom and her dad sent me like a news clipping. I was like, yeah, that's what moms do, don't they? They find a newspaper thing. I found some paper about something you already know. I'll save it for you. I do actually know that. Oh, yes, here it is in print. I, I can see it <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's, I say it's the right level of cheese. You know, the, the, the songs, you know, it's perfect. It's perfect. But Mickey, Mickey was good. Mickey's Christmas Carol. That's the one I had when I was a kid. Oh, I don't know that one. I do remember that one because I was absolutely terrified of Pete, who played uh, the ghost of Christmas. Yeah, terrifying. It's true. Yeah. Not you. You know, like the Baddie and the Mickey series. Yeah, Peg Leg Pete. Yeah. Peg Leg Pete. Pushing for a disability representation. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Wow. And especially in the context of Tiny Tim as well, which Mm. isn't the best disability representation, really. Yeah. Mm. I mean, did did you ever watch, uh, was it Bill Murray's Scrooge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's that bit where Tiny Tim does like a backflip at one point. Yeah, because they're making like a weird TV adaptation of Louise's face. Bill Murray plays Scrooge, who is like a TV producer guy oh, so with, with no morals. So it's, yes, what? So it's like Meta Scrooge. Yes, Meta Scrooge. So to read you through, got an American Carol, which is a Mickey take of Michael Moore, uh, song Les and Nielsen. We've got Boring One, Boring One. The Flintstones Christmas Carol, classic, obviously. Uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol. We've got Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, Barbie's Christmas Carol, that's god-awful. We've got the All Dogs Go to Heaven Christmas Carol. <gasps> All Dogs Go to Heaven, oh my oh, god, yeah. I'm having flashbacks, oh my there god, go, no, go. I can't talk about um, it. There's a Winnie the Pooh one that's set at Easter, so it's like an oh. Easter Christmas Carol thing, the rabbit is screwed, so yeah, it's... Poor rabbit. Rabbit's just a sensible one. Some would say it's become a bit of a trope. A trope, yeah, yeah, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like a popular work, yeah, maybe, yeah. It's a really obscure piece of writing. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think Dickens wouldn't like the Muppets? Uh, What's wrong with him? Uh, Why is he wrong? Why is he wrong? Um, have you seen his beard? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think about Dickens' response to some of the plays in his time, because obviously at the time there's no copyright, so everybody just nicked his books and made plays of them. And so there was more annoyance of that, of the money side of it. But beyond that, he didn't seem to have too much interest. Occasionally he tried to get particular productions done. 
So I'm just wondering how we feel about adaptation in general. Because the thing about Dickens, and I, yeah, Dickens is a, I love Dickens, great guy, lovely company, but um, he's a massive control freak. Why, in a way, he's better as a writer than as an actor. It would never work as an actor because you'd have to control everyone. As a writer, he's in complete control. And so seeing his work turned into a thing with frogs and pigs and whatever the gonzo is, <laughs> I can just see him being a bit ambivalent about it, you know. But he would be wrong. You know, I think what Muppets does, it captures the spirit of it really well, pun intended. And actually what really helps with Muppets is because you've got Bloomin' Muppets doing it, it immediately kind of puts you off the whole I must have authenticity. Now normally you go, you go to see a, a, a film or the book you love and you go, they've changed that and I hate it. It should be authentic. When you've got Muppets doing it, you're immediately being told, don't expect authenticity. Then the joke is, actually, it's very authentic, you know, but it's just it just gives the right vibe of what to expect. You go, it's a movie, enjoy it, don't about the original book. But at the same time, actually, surprise, it's the original book as well. What would a Muppets Druid look like? Ooh, unfinished, probably. You know, we get home and go, oh, that's it, we're going home now, guys. It'd be awesome. They get Michael Kane back to be uh, Jasper. Oh, like, yes. You know, yeah, very um, good. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, although, then Rosa Butt's a hard one because she's not really Miss Piggy material. And of course, Muppets only really have her. Uh, and that one person in the band, and that's their, their two men, you know, women. Um, the uh, the ghost of Christmas past, i.e. me. Um, she's she's <laughs> yes, the very pale ginger child. Yeah, yes, one yes, made especially yes. for it. Yeah, so like, quick, we need more women. Make one. That's how it works. That, 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 that's how the Garden of Eden. We need more women. Quick, here's a rib. Make one. <laughs> there you go. You know. Just make them. Christmas Carol works so well because it's short. It's short. It's a really good structure. It's a really easy structure to explain and to pass on and, and to work with. Other Dickens books are really long and better books, but they're longer and so they're harder to boil down and, and get right. Whereas Christmas Carol is, is almost made for adaptation. Although saying that, like I would be tempted to watch a Muppet's Bleak House, like rather than having to read it ever again. <laughs> uh, the BBC series, I think, did an awesome job with that. And yeah. also Gillian Anderson's in it, so, you know. Oh, okay, well, now I'm interested. Although it's funny, because everyone goes like, oh, Andrew Davis, such a genius. But actually, he didn't come up with a 20-minute program idea. That was somebody else. Yeah, so he gets all the credit for that. Like, oh, yes, I'm a genius of sitcom. But that wasn't his plan at all. We wanted just like a normal six-episode, one-hour-long Sunday night drama. Um, but, you know, that's good. That's good. I'll, I'll allow that one as adaptation. We'll, we'll put that one on the list. Okay. But not as good as Muppets. Nothing will ever be as good as Muppets. Next year all our troubles will be out of sight. For Ref 2021. Why does the Christmas Carol, obviously it's short and it's got ghosts and all the things, but also there are other Christmas stories and there are other Christmas stories with ghosts from what I remember. Yeah, but they're all rubbish. Yeah, why, why were they so rubbish? I mean, Dickens himself, I mean, he, he kind of cash, cashes in. So next year he does the chimes, which is a new year. You know, I mean, he's going for that kind of... It's, it's like when, um, oh, in the Millennium, when Robbie Williams did uh, Millennium as a song. You're like, I can get on the charts. And, like, disco, um, oh, what's, let's meet up in the year 2000 with um, Pulp and stuff. You know, and they're just literally going, here's a year, let's go for that. Make sure we're on every single radio playlist. So Dickens is doing that a bit, going, let's do a New Year's story now, and let's make sure every day of the year has a Dickens story associated with it. But the trouble is, it's just got the right amount of preaching and actual nice, heartwarming story. Everyone loves an orphan that does well. Well, exactly. I mean, the chimes is really... If a Christmas card's there going, you know, here's a warm hug, it's Christmas time, off you go and be a bit nicer. But the chimes is like, here's a smack around the head, go out there and march on, on the Capitol and take over and, and revolt. 
you know, and, and they don't really want that message so much. I mean, maybe this year. Maybe, maybe this year, you know. Capitalism and Christmas. Nah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot there. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're all guilty of Christmas time. We kind of go, oh, it's a time for giving and sharing. I'm going to start. I'll give, I'll give some money to the beggar on the street now and ignore you every month of the year as well. Bye! Merry Christmas! See you next year. Um, so there's a way we do kind of wear charity on our sleeves at Christmas time. And, and Christmas Carol is part of it. Like, oh, it's Christmas. It's Christmas Carol. Oh, it's time for giving. Do we actually carry that through our hearts the whole year like Dickens asked us to? Oh, God, I'm quoting Dickens for later. Do we actually do that? You know, um, that's the real message. In a way, the, the tragedy of Christmas Carol, going to get serious for just one second, the tragedy is actually that it is a Christmas carol when actually the story is about every single day of the year. Um, and that's the one flaw with, with Dickens' plan and the way we remember it. Yes, become so compartmentalised. You sound microphone drop. Okay, you know, make love not war people. Okay, yeah. That's the thing as well, though, because it's not just like Dickens, but just general Victorians and Christmas have just mm. kind of become synonymous when we think about like the more traditional elements of Christmas. Christmas pre-Coca-Cola trucks is like Victorian aesthetics. Every day, Dickens is walking out of his house and there's a blooming Coca-Cola lorry parking up outside. Holidays are coming. Holidays are coming. I haven't seen that advert yet, but then again, I don't really have terrestrial TV anymore. I just watch Netflix and there's no... There's no adverts on that. They should just play it just just anyway. I've got three kids and they mostly watch CBBS, which is awesome, and, and Netflix, which have no adverts. And then occasionally, you know, if, if there's a program they don't like or the Wi-Fi's playing up, they watch CITV or something and adverts. And literally, one advert break, you'll take them to go, like, I've got five ideas for Christmas, Dad. I want this, 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 and this. Oh, it's just, it's, it's just sort of like, here are 10,000 toys exactly. that you could buy. Tell your parents now. I'm buying my daughter a flossing sloth this year and let's all pause to consider how utterly ridiculous that sentence is what is a flossing sloth it's a sloth you switch it on and it flosses like the dance oh i thought it was actually like dental care oh no no, no. clearly i'm on the same wavelength as your daughter because i was right there and i was like that's amazing that's the reason for this I'm just thinking about the fact that the dentists have been closed for a year. I'm like, oh, God, wow, a flossing sloth. That sounds great. Uh, times are tough. You know, we need a sloth now to come around and floss it for you. It's also quite difficult to say. Uh, uh, flossing sloth, slothing, flossing sloth. They wear a mask, so it's safe while they're doing it. You know, they come around here, knock on the door, here's a sloth. They just crawl in. They're quite slow. Slow service, but... Slow, delicate. I don't care about the... Presenteeism on academic social media. Thinking about, like, Christmas in general, because obviously that's why you're here. Um, are there any, like, weird Victorian Christmas habits that you wish we could re-adopt or that have been forgotten about that you're like, you know what, I wish... Because I didn't realise that so many of the kind of contemporary, like, traditions are actually supposedly Victorian, like... Thanks, Albert, for decorating the tree. Nice one. Great idea. Christmas crackers. Incredible. The Christmas card. Could have done without that. It's a lot of pressure. I don't like Christmas cards. I don't like Christmas cards. You know, and every year, every year I think I'm doing them, and every year I get, like, about about the 17th, I get a, 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 them all come in from friends, like, oh, God damn it, they sent me cards, now I've got to send them cards. And then you, you find and dig out that one address book you've got somewhere in the back of your house you never look apart from Christmas time. 
where you've got maybe their address on, but it might not be because it's been 10 years. Oh, Christmas cards. I just hate it when you, when you get them where it's just sort of like, Dear Alex, Merry Christmas, and then their name. I'm like, what, oh, what's the what a fucking waste of my time. Is it even meant for me? Is it really love? Is it? It's more of like a passive aggressive flex. I don't oh, know. I don't like it. The neighbors are love from number 64. It's like, I don't know you. I never will. And now I've got to go to your house, figure out where it is. I've got a card through your blooming door. Oh, yeah. What's worse is like the family newsletters. Oh, any of yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like literally just, just social media. You don't need this anymore. Just, just, just put some photos up like everyone else. Be done with it. Yeah. Nah, absolutely not. My mum used to do Christmas card audits. I don't know if your parents oh, yeah, did. Yeah, keeping a track of who's coming in and yeah, who's going out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she'd have a list of who sent her last year and then she'd go through that and write them. And then after Christmas, she'd do her new list of who she received from so like she could compare so that she could do it for the next year. <laughs> Which is a colossal waste of time. But the epic glaring in that, the passive aggressiveness. I mean, yeah, because when, when you're at school, it's worse because then everyone in your class, like you basically got to do a class for everyone. Otherwise, it's just, it's, it's hideous. You know, you can't be selective. So that's just basically like you're, you're paying for your kids to go shop some cards around and get loads of cards back from random people. Especially this year, COVID, everyone, you know, here it comes. I coughed in this one. <laughs> oh, maybe this one, you know. Make sure you lick your envelopes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and everyone else is a two. Yeah, okay. Oh, awful. So if I can go back to your question, Louise, in terms of Sorry. what they're trying to practice, I'm going to change to what I, I wish did, wasn't still around and it's Christmas cards. They can, they can burn. They literally can burn. Uh, <laughs> they can fuel. But they, they can burn. But other things, you know, Christmas trees, never heard of Christmas tree. They're, they're quite cool. Are they quite big? Uh, well, again, we've ruined them, haven't we? You know, it used to be just literally a tree. And now it's like, is it a white tree? Is it a multicolored tree? Is it some kind of weird Harry Potter tree? You know, it's like just, just a tree would be nice. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. The panoptic gaze of Santa Claus is a Foucauldian staple. I hate the fucking, the elf on the shelf. No, that's not a thing. Oh, that's an American wow. bullshit thing. That's some. That's nothing. What? What even is it? Apart from some sort of weird, creepy surveillance some state. I don't like it. Sadistic parent out there. When aren't we awesome? We do a special thing every day where we pretend the elf's alive or important to Santa, but in a new position every year. And for one year, that's quite a nice thing to do. But every sodding year during this, what it means is basically the elf is there. Kids go to bed, you've got to move the elf to somewhere else in the house. They go, oh, the elf's moved. What it actually means is every flipping morning, waking up at 6 30 going, oh, dear God. The elf. <laughs> Moving the elf while distracting your daughter to go, oh, look, it has moved to five centimetres to the left of where it was last night. Oh, magic. It doesn't bring, like, extra gifts or anything. It's literally just I more work. need extra gifts, Alex. They get so many gifts. When I was a lad, we had one advent calendar with pictures in it between the four Between of us. six of us. And we took it in turns. It's like, is it my day, Dad? Is it my day, Dad, with the advent calendar? Oh, look, Dad. It's a picture of a stocking I got today, Dad. Yes, picture ones. Oh, my God. Right, when we were growing up, we would have advent calendars with pictures inside. And only if you guessed correctly... Would you get a chocolate or a sweet? Oh, I like that. So it was like a real thing. So like every morning my brother and I, we would open the thing and we'd both have to put our choices in beforehand. And it would be really upsetting if like he said present, but I also wanted to say present. So I'd have to hit him until he said something else. And then we'd open up and it would be the other thing. And I'd be upset. So he got the chocolate, but was also crying. So I still win. So your parents encourage you to hit each other and cry every day for Christmas. Yes. And also we're part German as well. So my Oma is German and we would celebrate St. Nicholas on the 5th. And my mum would be like, okay, every, you have to shine the whole all the shoes in the house 
Otherwise, Nicholas won't bring you any gifts. So every fucking year, my brother and I would spend like two hours on the 4th of December shining shoes and laying them out in the kitchen. And the next day we'd get like an orange or some like a chocolate orange and a CD and be like, yes, bargain. What's an utterly pointless? Who needs a shiny shoe on Christmas Day? You're in all day. Like- uh, my stepdad's in the army, so he it's very specific about shiny shoes. What I was going to say, so we had a picture one, so, so occasionally like one kill on the block, I had a chocolate one, you're like, oh, you, oh. jammy dodger, well, look at you, got this, this is, oh, it's the future. My kids now have got the blooming toy ones, each, so each day they're like a Playmobil toy, a Schleich dinosaur toy, you know, a Lego toy. I mean, I like how you say this as if it's their fault. They don't have an income. But also then, because chocolate ones are a quid each, they've got chocolate as well, because you can't not have a chocolate one. So the chocolate is now, what in my day was like the, 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 ah, is now like a little standard, obviously. And of course, your standard chocolate advent calendar, as you would expect. I've just really started to enjoy those like beer or gin ones that you can get. Those are good. I got cheese ones last year. I was genuinely excited every day. A new bit of cheese. And I realised at that point, I, I, I'm all... Oh, look at this. None of this conversation is what Dickens would have wanted. <laughs> it's not what Dickens planned on a Christmas card. Dickens would have been fucking raging. But I do think that, Alex, you've shared some sort of childhood traumas that maybe justify <laughs> your need for validation and seeking it's that true, PhD. And are you going to get it right? Are you going to get your chocolate today, Alex? <laughs> what I'm thinking is, that's how much Christmas Eve and get my shoes shine, because that'd be great. You know, if you're trained, perfect. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll put them in the post. I always had to go to the fucking horses with my mother on Christmas Day to shovel shit before my presents. You all had very strange Christmases. I mean, at no point, again, does Dickens say, and lo, it's Christmas, now we'll go and shovel some shit. Shovel shit. (laughs) Also, when my grandparents were, were alive and they would come down because, you know, very Catholic, we had to go to church before presents. And that, when you're quite young, is is fucking devastating. <laughs> oh, okay, that sounds like a normal Christmassy thing to do. Horses and shoes? What the? Do they just get high one night and go, what can we do? I know, I know, tell them, tell them. Every year, every year, they've got to, they've got to, they've got to uh, put clothes on inside out. Just tell them, just tell them. I mean, you joke about that as well, but that is 100% what my mum does. <laughs> She grew up in Holland, so, you know. It's a mixture of Dutch and German in there. Susie's a riot. I never even met her, but she's a riot. Her care packages during lockdown were phenomenal. I'll just say that much. (laughs) I didn't get any fucking care packages from my parents. (laughs) Faye? Displays contempt in terms of Pierre Bourdieu's gift exchange strategy. Back to Dickens. I suppose we should maybe talk about Dickens. Um, Go on. Nah. So you suggested in your work on Drood, and certainly in the uh, the keynote I saw at Dickens 150, is that when Dickens got a bit older, he maybe became kind of a bit of a Scrooge himself. What is the kind of dark side of being Mr. Christmas? Like, what like what happened to Dickens? Oh, I think, haven't we already seen it? Sometimes the idea of like, a guy who's known for one thing, I was like, oh, oh God, do it again, do that, you know. Um... I mean, Dickens was not just known for Christmas Carol, but at the same time, he's known for Christmas Carol, you know. And so this idea, generally with Dickens, in his lifetime, everyone loved his early stuff. Everyone going, go on, do Pickwick again, do Oliver again. When's the next Pickwick coming? You know, and going, I'm, I'm doing new stuff. I'm experimenting with electro beats and stuff. Trust me, it's going to be amazing. It's new one. I bought the synth. <laughs> <laughs> My new wife, Yoko, and she's got some great ideas. 
But look, people didn't want it. They just wanted all the old stuff. Like, just do the do the same stuff again. Stop doing new stuff. So it's not just Christmas. I think it's a general kind of sense in his life. Like, oh, for God's sake, I'm trying something new here. This great expectation might actually, you know, catch on. But also, again, he kind of locked himself in with doing the Christmas books. And then he, for the benefit of Alex, who knows nothing about Dickens, he edited some journals, okay? So every what? weekly journals he would do, yeah? And, and he edited these. And every Christmas he'd do a Christmas special. You know, but it's, it's a Christmas special in the same way that like a more and wise Christmas special. So it's no, very actual no Christmas content in there. It was like a bumper. When I mean, you get the Beano, like a Beano annual, you know, he invented the Beano annual is what he did. Here we get people in to uh, collaborate and write stories. And that's every single year he did this. Then. He had about 17 years of just writing Christmas specials and stories. And they do kind of dip in quality a bit as they go on. Because mainly the idea is, you know, each one is uh, different writers doing short stories with a kind of a frame narrative that Dickens has invented. You know, so it starts with a round of stories by the Christmas fire. Ooh, nice. Ooh, strong. Like- then next year is another round of stories by the Christmas fire. Not so strong. He had some good conceits, like there's one where they're on a ship and it, it's sinking and so the survivors such the stories. Okay, fair enough. Bit dark, but fair enough. Now we're on a spaceship beside the Christmas fire. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this just sounds like that. What's that thing about like, oh, you're in a hot air balloon and you have to tell a really good story so you don't get thrown off. Pretty much. Everyone gets thrown off because all the stories about people dying or losing the love of their life or or killing someone. (laughs) Merry Christmas. I love the Victorians. (laughs) They're the best guys. Victorians love death and murder and mystery at Christmas time. And then you get towards the end and Tom Tiddler's grounds, like there's this weird old hobo up the road who tells stories. Let's go visit him and tell some stories. You're like you just you're just giving up now, Dickens. That's it. You know, <laughs> the weird Tom Tiddler. I've got a story for you, kids. It's like, oh, come on, Tom Tiddler, literally rhyming with Kelly Fiddler. Like, come on, now. <laughs> so you're the shine shoes. You had to go to church. They had to go see Tom Tiddler. Okay? We have talked before on this podcast about how 19th century novels are all about overinvestment in children in weird ways. So yeah. you know. Well, yeah, I mean, it, again, you know, he, he does do that. You know, I mean, Oliver Twist, you know, and the, and the ghost of that. Yeah, there is a lot of that. And I say his comic characters and his cockney characters especially. So there is a sense of him feeling like, oh, God, I've got to do the same thing again and, and, and trot another one out. And doing the weekly journal, there's that sheer pressure of what am I doing this week, what am I going to bring out? So I think there is a, a weariness he gets generally. Not just Christmas, but Christmas is part of that as well. It's generally a bit like, you know, oh God, another thing. It's another year, another number to do. So how does that manif- like manifest? Manifest? It's just all, all the manly energy coming off your feet. How does that manifest in Drude? So obviously Drude is what you've written your book on yeah. and it is the unfinished novel. He had a big yeah. break between writing Our Mutual Friend and Drude. He did, yeah. How does this manifest, the sort of scroogeiness? Okay, so so one thing I was trying to say in, in, in my talk back in June, which feels like about 1,000 years ago. Roughly. Yeah, roughly, you know, approximately. A lot of people talk about this, this gap in Dickens and he goes to Italy for a year and he comes back and writes all these big, serious, bleak house little horror novels. So he puts away all the comic stuff, gets out his synthesizer and does some new stuff instead. And then he has this long break again after a mutual friend of six years, which is longer, a longer gap, or five years, five year long gap. And then he writes Drew. So my idea was that in a way there's there's going to be a sense of reappraisal, you know, sort of picking up the the pen again and working out where he is with that. And it does come through in the way he's writing. I mean, Drew is a very nostalgic novel, but it's not, I mean, it's set clearly in Rochester, which Dickens has connections with. He's been there when he's younger as well. Pickwick's in Rochester. But it's also, it's both nostalgic and anti-nostalgic. You know, it's, it's looking back on the past and revisiting a lot of past Dickens tropes, but also saying, God, this is tired. Cloisterham is, it's a sleepy town. 
that's not necessarily a good thing. Again, serious hat on a second. What you've got in, in Drood is two locations. It's Cloisterham, which is basically Rochester, and, and London. And the point is, London is the safe place. And it's, it's a small, sleepy town that's actually the place where murder's happening and danger's happening as well, and where there's, you know, sort of a um, possible racism, prejudice or two having uh, been going on there. So, actually, he's kind of attacking the idea of nostalgia and, and the good old days, which he always did anyway. And so you get this coming through. And then the key Christmas thing is that the actual murder, disappearance, what have you, of Edward, takes place on Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas, you know. Shine some shoes, see some horses, sing some carols, and murder a guy and throw him in a crib somewhere, you know. Why are we doing this here? So, yeah, it's this remarkable thing of, you know, people go, oh, Dickens does Christmas at the end there. But it's like, well, why? Why? Why is it uncomfortable? Does anyone actually want to ask that question of why, of all days, he'd choose that day? And it's great. I mean, I'm not going to read you from it because I'm, I, can't, this, I can't be bothered to find the book off my shelf. Honestly. But you know, but if I were to find the book off my shelf and actually get off my ass, I would read you the bit where he talks about Christmas time. And it's, a, it's this great passage where he talks about all the familiar faces coming back who are now older. And basically, he's, he's talking about the idea of people who grow up, leave their hometown, get the fuck out of there, off to somewhere better. And then come back at Christmas time, see the family and go, ooh, look at all the charity shops and phone shops now on the high street. Everything's gone. And he's talking about that same experience. People coming back to a smaller town than they remember. And that sense of weird, you can never go home again kind of sensation there. So he's got a lot of that going in. So, you know, as a last book, it's interesting. As, as the first of a new phase of books, how you lived, it'd be really interesting. Inappropriate hiring practices. You suggest in your work mm-hmm. on the mystery of Edwin Drood that the attempts to solve the mystery can be divided into the following categories. This is me quoting. These are your words. Go on. The opportunists, uh-huh. the detectives, the academics, and the irreverent, yeah. which you can never say. You did. Well done. Yeah. Irrever- irreverent, which I can't, uh, now I can't say it. If, if you look on Netflix, uh-huh. this is going off topic, but if you look on Netflix, like for any series, you know how they have like three words to describe what it is? The number of them that use irreverent. Oh yeah, irreverent British comedy. They cannot decide on what it actually fucking means. Side note, side note. I used to work in Wolves when I was a kid, okay? So I spent a lot of time looking at the back of DVDs because I was blooming bored. And on the back of DVDs videos, they have like, you know, the, uh, the parental guidance and the warning. It contains nudity, contains, you know, Parent Trap, Lindsay Lohan, Parent Trap, you know, Universal All Access contains... First Trap. Contains twins. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that should go on Drood, let's be honest, though. Yeah, it does, does it need commenting on, but that apparently is a category of things we're aware of when you're commenting. Twins. But, um, yeah, so your four categories, your... Opportunist, detective, academic, irreverent. Thank you, Alex. Okay, yes. Just to remind our listeners. Which are you? Tag yourself. Yeah, tag yourself. What's your research you methodology? Never guess. <laughs> but I'll probably say irreverent. It's not funny enough. He says, sat doing a podcast with BBA behind him. Um, yeah, irreverent, of course. No. The opportunist and irreverent aren't so very different. The opportunists are, they, that's the only one of the three that really is time constricted. So that's the early ones in the 70s and 1880s who are just cashing in on that cow. You know, they're going, right, Dickens is dead. Let's finish the book and make some cash. Get in there, you know, and, and what they're doing is no different to what people have throughout Dickens' life, you know, like Reynolds writing Pickwick Abroad and stuff. People are pirating his work throughout his life, and they're just doing the same thing, and, and, they, and they didn't care about what Dickens planned. They didn't care about what Dickens was going to do next. They go, let's just make a nice story, 
It's like a game of consequences. And they just put in their own characters. They change it. They invent new names. Chippecoin. Nice one, Dr. Chippecoin. Oh, you know, that's yeah, good. Dickensian, right? You know, so they're just out there to make a quick buck. But then you get the detectives who are like taking it very super seriously. Like, we must find out what Dickens really planned, which is fine. Except for the other problem is they're also going, it must be the greatest mystery ever written. Because this is, of course, Charles Dickens. And Dickens does not phone it in. Tom Tiddler's ground says he blimmin' does phone it in. <laughs> so all the way we're going, this must be the greatest mystery ever. And so they tie themselves a knot finding the, the, the twist that no one before them has found. Um, and then the academics go, hello, actually, it's not a mystery. It's all very normal. And there you go. It's what you think it's going to be. It's the obvious ending, which is nice. And they probably, <laughs> but that does kind of kill the conversation a bit. People go, oh, okay, well then what should we talk about now? What should we do? You know? And then, uh, yeah, so then your reverend are the ones who go, okay, we know what it is going to do. It's fairly obvious, but let's have some fun anyway and ignore that. So that's where there's, I don't know, Louise, have you heard there's a musical of Drood? Have you heard of this one at all? Oh, God. <laughs> I think actually it's the first musical that I went to go see of yours. No, was that, is that right? Yes, probably. Yes, it was. I think it was. The first thing you forced me to see. But yeah, so things like that are great. You know, and actually, and, and, and what the irreverent ones do is either they, they have fun of it, they deliberately mess around with it, but also they kind of celebrate the fact that there are multiple possibilities here as well. And that's what, I do, really. Because, I mean, the, 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 the question you haven't asked yet, it may be on your list, it might, it might be, yeah, is, and what do you think is the ending of Edwin Drew? And I always go, oh, fuck off. I mean, it was on there. Uh, <laughs> but we, we're not asking. Yeah, no, obviously not. Obviously not. I'm not here to say, and this is my solution. Because that's what everyone does. They always say, all these academics, all the people before me were crazy, they, they, they were in too far, got too deep, wrote it, and they were, they were nonsense. And now here's my theory. And you can see every time there's all these essays that start off first 20% serious, typed up, last 20% in crayon, you know, just like, you know, like you know, spelling gone off as they go, I am Edwin Drew. It was me. But in the musical, he just comes on at the end and goes, I'm alive. Exactly. Here's a song. Here we go. And then there's a kick line. <laughs> <laughs> Any excuse for a song. I like the fact that anyone can have a guess. I like the fact that anyone can have their own ideas of what happens next. And, and I think in, in that context, an unfinished book just feels like, oh, who's got time for that? But actually, it's quite a nice way into Dickens because you read and then go, well, here's my opinion, and it's as valid as yours. You know, so hurrah. It's good fun. It should be good fun. You know, people will take it too seriously and then it stops being fun. Um, so yeah, everyone. The Cheeky Girls 2003 hit Have a Cheeky Christmas is ideology at its purest. Do you think we should just get rid of every ending of every book? Yeah, amazing, you know. Um, in fairness, like Hamlet, the ending's fairly batshit anyway. And you're not going to actually say it's more crazy than, you know, they have a fencing match, everyone dies. To be or not to be, I'll fucking tell you, Hamlet, I'm in charge here. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where I was like, because I'm reading at the moment, um, rereading Robinson Crusoe because I've got to do oh. a thing for it next year. And I completely forgot the end where there's that chapter like, Friday fights a bear. <laughs> 
And you're just like, I forgot this existed. Or the bit where he runs away from wolves. I just like. I didn't get that far through. Ireland is he on exactly? I know he goes back to Europe or something. I don't know. I can't remember. But I just remember reading through it being like, I don't remember this. I've read this book like seven times and I can't remember Friday Fights a Bear. Number one in, in the in the long list of books that aren't as good as you think they're going to be from all the hype. Oh god, no, they're awful. <gasps> my favorite thing, my favorite Charles Dickens. Oh. Just, this is the only this is the only only Dickens content I have. Dickens described Robinson Crusoe as the only book that had never made anyone laugh or anyone cry. That's my boy. That's Dickens. There you go. <laughs> Devastating. Take that to phone. There you go. Yeah. You affectless bastard. All I remember about Robinson Crusoe was because I only got about a third of the way in because uh-huh. no, there's a bear. I didn't even get to the bear. I, I don't think I even got to Man Friday. So, like, but I, I remember like he goes to the island and does all the things and sets up and it's very, you know, Protestant work ethic y. And then he starts a journal. And he just repeats everything he's just done, but yeah. it's in his journal, so it's different. And you're just like, kill me. <laughs> like, why, why are you doing this? No. I mean, Gulliver's Travels, I actually, I like Gulliver's Travels. I'll say it now. But it is- oh, Gulliver's Travels is great. So much great content. The bit where he puts out the fire of the city by pissing on it. Favorite point. I thought point. I that the other day. She loved it. She was hilarious, you know. So, uh, yeah, good, good parenting. But no, but I mean, that's, that's still a book that does deal with its hype. Everyone goes, ah, oh, Gulliver's Travels. Great children's book. I read as a kid. Imagine that, but a lot more political commentary and and wry, you know, observations about, you know, 17th century life. And and there's your boy. Yes, yes, yeah. I love the, um, what's it, the Tower of Knowledge or whatever it is, where he just makes fun of all the Enlightenment thinkers. It's great. Sort of like trying to extract sunlight from a cucumber. I'm like, I know people like that. I know biomed science. That's what this podcast is about. How have you got life must matter cucumber? Yeah, just fucking weird academic practices. Try Nietzsche. So we asked you to think about the atrocity that was. What the hell was that? I mean, I'm really glad that you brought up Robbie Williams earlier. I I didn't realise that you'd already been given what the close the analysis hell to read. Was that? I, I it. So I'm just going to read out the first stanza. That's right, it's a stanza. <clears throat> oh, what a miserable year, but what a time to be alive. Sadly, some friends disappeared. It's never been like this before. Ooh, ooh. It feels like we're at war. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it feels like a very Victorian Christmas song, I've got to you say. You can't say, in passing, sadly, some friends are here. You know, unfortunately, you know, so to make you know, thousands died, unfortunately. But hey, look. So what do we do about your friends' FaceTime and your Zooms? There's a room inside my mind, and it's always here for you. Nothing's going to stop Christmas. No chance. <laughs> I'm going to say now, and you know, this, this may be worse than the, the, the Muppet Christmas Carol comment, but you know, Robbie Williams, overrated. Overrated, overrated. He's done some good tunes, okay? He was, you know, he wasn't bad, he was good, but there's a moment, especially what, about the 2000s, he's being hired as like the messiah of British pop music. Fuck that. Rock DJ! It's amazing. It's, it's, a, it's a shopping list. It's not even a song. It's just like it's a, it's a one beat thing, and it's him saying, like, it's a woman. Fairy to oh, I mean, if you're asking about shopping lists, he does give us some ideas about what Robbie would like for Christmas. <clears throat> if you're wondering what I like, stacks of sanitizer will do fine. I guess you do your shopping online. The high street lights are out. Ooh, ooh. There's nobody about. Ooh, ooh. It's like he's looking at the, the complicated 
political, cultural uh, landscape that is 2020, and he's distilled that into fine wine and then drank the wine and many more bottles too, got shit-faced and just scrawled something with his own feces on a piece of toilet paper and put it into a song. Sounds about right. But then there's the weird, like, <laughs> slightly QAnon-y content. Yes, definitely. Where is that? Okay. You zoned in on that, because I was just laughing at the whole Santa on his like, two meters away. Yeah. And you're just like, kill me now. But also this idea about not stopping Christmas, which I'm finding really problematic anyway, because obviously any other religion has had their holidays yeah. over as well. And Yeah, it's massively problematic. I don't work out what level of irony if any, he was working on. Was he going, this is a really funny post-modern take on people's insistence on Christmas singing the happiest tune and, and doing this? Or is he, just, is he genuine in the song? Which, which is also... It's the final stanza that I really just don't understand. You can't take away our season. Like, you can't take away the wine. Let's lie to Santa Claus. Tell him it's 1984. The people going to need something to believe in after a year of being in. We've all missed this. So here's our wish list. The thing is, you can't stop Christmas time. You can take away the wine. You, you, you can. You can. You should, Robbie, really take away the wine. Like, put it down, Robbie, please. But it's, the, it's the 1984 thing. Like, yeah, it's the line. I'm like, what? Is that because the elf's been watching him from the shelf? Like, I don't understand. Like, okay, so what is it, surveillance? Is it that we've actually been told? 1984, isn't that Bando was 84? Was Bando in 84? Was 85? Oh. Genius, I take it back. What a, what, a, what a guy, what an amazing guy. He's a prophet for the ages. Or does this rhyme? Is that what he's looking for? It's like, oh, I thought that rhyme. I mean, kind of. I don't. I just assumed it was the novel, but obviously, it's uh, it, if Band Aid makes more sense, I mean, that was <laughs> properly problematic as well. Oh. Was it Band Aid? Is it Band Aid? Are we, are we who's going to Google it first? Band Aid's awful as well. That's a, I mean, yes. <laughs> Nothing grows in Africa, guy. Everybody loves a white saviour song, Louise. Yeah, okay. Come on. Do they know it's Christmas song? Do they? Do they? Do they? Probably not. Oh, no, it was. Band-Aid, founded in 1984. Oh. Oh, there you go. See? I've got to say, though, I, I prefer our kind of like QAnon Robbie Williams. <laughs> yeah, I prefer our take on it. I thought he was just going full crazy, like, the government's lying. There is no coronavirus. It's a pandemic. Oh, Bill Gates. And you've got liquid <laughs> microchips. Also, what I know, you sent me this link, which thank you for that. You're welcome. It's in your search history now. I, I watch out of work and I, you know, I, I for, for the book on Druid, I looked at all solutions and one of the solutions was erotic fan fiction that were written online. Okay, so I was reading erotic fiction at work in my office one day. Our jobs are great. I was less embarrassed reading that in my office than I was when the Robbie Williams team popped up going, I hope no one can pass it right now because I can't explain this. <laughs> <laughs> reading about John Jasper sticking his, his mysterious scarf up, whatever, you know, that's fine, I got that, you know. What the hell is it? But the one you sent me, I mean, is that, that's just the lyrics the here, right? Or is that the actual? No, 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 that's the video. That's the actual... It looks like an Asda commercial. It looks like this is just, just at the last minute, just put something together as like a quick, cheap thing. Oh, God. I think there's been some issues like through the lockdown of celebrities whose PR staff have been furloughed. Do you remember all the sort of Hollywood celebrities doing Imagine? Oh, God, that made me feel so cringy. Like, all over. Horrific. Who advised them to do that? I bet you 
that their PR and their agents are on furlough. It's when celebrities are alone. They're going, look, 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 I'm, I'm going off. I'm on furlough. I'm going to be home. Just, just, just don't do anything. Don't, don't touch that. You'll be fine. What are you doing? What are you doing? No, don't go on stories. Don't go on stories. Don't do that. Don't do that. So what are we to do about your FaceTimes and your Zooms? There's a room inside my mind. Please, let's not bring psychoanalysis into this. We have one final question oh, if you want to answer it. Is we always ask our guests, if you could do one thing, so one like tiny sort of pithy statement to unfuck the academy so you know just a small task what would it be cancel student fees what absolute cock up that was oh in 1997 so not only did i not pay fees but i was in the last year they got grants i also got like about a grand and a half per year plus a student loan on top of that i wanted this so you know it's like cha-ching, you know and it was awesome thank you very much but the, but the idea was you do this you get a job you pay your taxes and you pay it forward and to be honest just that idea of paying it forward is in itself and that should be done more anyway regardless Dickens would like that furious so they, they cancel student fees because also then what's happened is you get students coming in who are now looking at it like well how will this benefit me what will be the, the salary bonus how can I get the grade I need and they're all thinking about grades and the final they actually shall we enjoy this or not there's no irreverence students are not irreverent anymore irrelevance over irreverent exactly oh it's horrible it's horrible so yeah if I could do that I would do it in a heartbeat Solid. That is some very Dickensian statements. I like that. It's good. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas, everyone. Peter's going to pay for your tuition fees. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> when we say, can I cut anything out of the interview? The bit where we say, I'm paying for things. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I want to wish you a Dion's extreme vocalising is analogous to the struggle for overachieving, validation-seeking individuals that pursue careers in academia. Finally then, do you have anything that you would like people to be aware of, things that you're working on? We've already talked about how Italy is still going. Are there other things on the horizon? Oh, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing a look on these plays and I'm writing the biography and I'm having a breakdown. But other than that, it's fine. Just uh, take care of each other and, and let's all see how 2021 goes. I'm sure it, it's going to go to a great start, you know. I'm sure. It's- Dolly Parton saved Christmas and the world exactly that's all we need thank god for dolly thank dolly you mean oh sorry thank dolly praise be praise be dolly have a holly dolly christmas we've been long my praxis if you liked what you heard you can subscribe wherever you download your podcasts and don't forget to rate and review us on itunes a five-star output deserves five-star rating no reviewer two comments please Shout out to our biggest fan, Dr. Amy Bromley. You can get in touch with us at lawmypraxis at gmail.com or at lawmypraxis on Twitter. Today's episode was brought to you by the letter X and the number 12. Our shape this week. Two children, wretched, abject, frightful, hideous, miserable. Remember to tell all your friends with apologies for cross-posting. Please do not reply all. Bye. Coming up on Low My Praxis. I was just feeling like in this in-between space between knowing I had potential and at the same time thinking I was incredibly shit. We're joined by neurodivergent dance artist, Abby Watson. You can swipe left or swipe right. 
I'm dyspraxic, so I don't really know the difference.